Several years ago, I had the opportunity to spend two weeks on pilgrimage in northern Spain, along portions of the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. This pilgrimage was one of the most important Christian pilgrimages in the Middle Ages, together with those to Rome and Jerusalem, and today has been revived in the modern era, seeing some hundreds of thousands of pilgrims. The destination of the pilgrimage is the Cathedral of St. James in Galicia, where tradition has it the remains of the Apostle St. James the Great are buried. Thus, the last day of our two-week pilgrimage, we gathered with other pilgrims for a pilgrim's mass in this grand cathedral. We got there early to get good seats up close and right under the place where the bufadora would swing. Now, the bufadora is the largest censer in the world. If you all remember, some t- a few times every year we have incense in the service, and the censer is about this big. Well, this censer is over five feet tall and some 175 pounds. Now, normally the bufadora is on exhibition in the library of the cathedral. They don't bring it out for every service. But because we were there during a jubilee year, which is the year when St. James Day, July 25th, falls on a Sunday, it's a very special year, and they actually have the bufadora in all the pilgrims' masses. So when we were there, it was attached to a long pulley uh, mechanism and filled with about 90 pounds of charcoal and incense. Now, I'm not usually one to take pictures or video during, uh, during Mass, but I really wanted to get a video of this bufadora because when it's swinging over you, it's really something hard to describe. But I told myself to resist this temptation out of respect for the place and the moment. You can imagine my surprise then when they raised the pulley to swing the bufadora that a bunch of visiting Roman Catholic priests from around the world who had been given the honor of actually standing on the altar, the raised altar, during the service, pulled out their video cameras and their phones and started videotaping this in the middle of the Mass. Perhaps you too have been in such situations where you are in a very holy space and you want to be there with reverence and to worship, but you see such beautiful things or interesting things, and you wonder what's appropriate to do in such a place. This question was on my mind as I read the gospel for today. The story often referred to as Jesus' cleansing of the temple. This too is a story of a most holy worship space, which was an important destination for pilgrims. Now, all four gospel writers include this story. However, in John's gospel, it happens at the beginning of his ministry, whereas the other three gospels have it at the end of his ministry. Now, whether these are recording different events or just a different chronology, scholars disagree, but the placement of John's John's gospel at the beginning tells us something about the nature of Jesus and his ministry. In John's Gospel, the story takes place right after Jesus' first sign or miracle where he turned water into wine at a wedding festival in Cana. We hear that then Jesus, his mother, brothers, and disciples 
went to Capernaum for a few days, and then on to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. People traveled from afar to Jerusalem during this time in particular, making pilgrimage to remember Passover, to celebrate Passover together, and remember as a community the Exodus event and God's deliverance from bondage. And like in the Camino de Santiago in Spain, the destination of these pilgrims was a holy place, a temple. Now this wasn't just any temple, this was the temple in Jerusalem and had been undergoing a massive expansion and restoration by Herod the Great starting in 20 BC and still underway in Jesus' day, as we hear in the gospel reading, been going on for 46 years. And with thousands of -of out-of-town visitors descending on the temple during Passover, the temple area was always crowded But as we hear in the passage today, it was not just pilgrims crowding the temple area. There were sheep, cattle, pigeons, and their dealers, as well as money changers. Now, the presence of these animals and money changers were, in a sense, for the pilgrims' convenience. Money changers were handy because the temple tax had to be paid in temple coinage. Now, the tax ultimately went to the Romans, but the high priests had ordered that this be paid in their currency, the shekel, to make it acceptable for temple business. And sacrificial animals, an important part of pilgrimage and getting right with God, had to be without blemish per Jewish law. And who could make it all the way to Jerusalem on pilgrimage with an unblemished animal? Can you imagine making that long journey only to have your animal rejected for some imperfection? So yes, these were offered as a convenience for pilgrims. But the temple benefited as well. Money changers often charged exorbitant exchange rates with high commissions, kind of like those money changers at the airports that we see. Only that a portion of this great profit went into the coffers of the high priests. And likely those selling sacrificial animals paid some sort of rent or portion of their profits to the temple as well. If the arrangement was mutually beneficial for pilgrims and temple upkeep, why was Jesus so angry? We hear that making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. The only recorded words that he spoke, which give some indication of why he was angry, was that he told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Was he angry about the price gouging by the money changers, taking advantage of earnest pilgrims and exploiting the poor? Now, some scholars believe that the reason why Jesus did this is not so important as what this action says about his identity his prophetic role, and his relationship to God. Now, interestingly, the Jewish authorities present did not ask him for a reason either. Perhaps they themselves recognized how they had accommodated in ways that compromised their mission. But they did ask him for evidence that he was the one with the authority to do this. Other themes in the Gospel of John suggest that through this event, Jesus was demonstrating how he was bringing a new kind of worship. The phrase, stop making my father's house a marketplace, 
is connected to a passage in the Old Testament from Zechariah. There shall no longer be traitors in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. In other words, on the day when the Lord, or Jesus, comes to Jerusalem. Jesus also refers to the temple as my father's house, not the house of the Lord, as in the passage, showing his unique relationship to God. But in reflecting on this passage, I wondered if where the cleansing took place was also significant. The sheep, cattle, pigeons, and their dealers, and the money changers were on temple grounds, but were in an outer area called the Court of the Gentiles. It was called such because anyone could enter the outer area. The actual temple worship space, or what we might call the sanctuary, was enclosed with a large uh, railing, big uh, barriers around it, and only certain people could enter there. Certainly only Jews, and in the inner part, only the circumcised. It says there were even signs that said the uncircumcised could not cross without incurring the death penalty. Thus, the place where Jesus did his cleansing was the one place that Gentiles and others who were not permitted in this worship space could come and pray. Undoubtedly, Jesus was angry at the dishonest, greedy practices of the money changers and merchants and how this was encouraged and enabled by the high priests. His was a righteous anger against religious leaders for whom religion had become a business. But he was also upset with how this practice robbed the temple outcasts, the marginalized, the Gentiles, women, of the one place that they might have for worship on temple grounds. His actions to cleanse the temple was thus aimed at ridding it of its corrupt and exclusionary practices, making way for a new kind of worship, one that does not marginalize, but reconciles and restores. Our season of Lent is kind of like a pilgrimage, a time for us to give up certain things, take on certain things, all with the idea of putting ourselves in a new space that will help us reflect and consider our spiritual journey. Holy Week and Easter are kind of like our temple in Jerusalem or the cathedral in Santiago, the destination of our Lenten pilgrimage. May we all take time to reflect on those things that have made our religious practice a marketplace and distracted us from the true work of the church. How has the church accommodated in its quest to maintain itself? Where have we made compromises? How do we create barriers for people to enter our worship space and community? What could we do to be more inclusive? Or what have we done in certain areas that could be expanded to others? Certainly one thing I've heard about a lot from people over the last year or so is how transformative our music program has become. Now, St. A's, since I've been here, has always had a beautiful music program. It's fairly traditional music. The choir was always up in the loft. Um, the space was really built for that, with the, the beautiful music coming from above. Um, and there's, there's some... Uh, good aspects to that, but with our new music director, began to see some different possibilities. Um, one change you've all noticed is that they're up in the loft fairly infrequently and often 
most often down in the congregation with us. People who were sporadic attenders have told me how the music program has promoted, prompted them to come more frequently. People who now sing in the choir, who didn't before, talk about the new style and format, a broader range of music types, and sitting in the congregation with their families and significant others how these removed barriers to encourage their participation and sense of community. And I love the symbolism of having a, a broad range of people participate and come out from the congregation rather than being hidden up in the loft. A newcomer even commented how they love our flash mob choir. <laughs> what other areas of ministry, and, and music is indeed a ministry, where we could create more of a flash mob mentality. Now, I'm sure Nate wouldn't be happy with a flash mob vestry. <laughs> but what about more social justice and service opportunities that took that sort of spontaneous, here, we're going to do this this day, please show up mentality? Or things with the women's group or men's group or youth, permitting broader participation uh, from people in our community. Where we draw from a larger group of enthusiastic participants and, and draw them to service and spiritual growth. To do so, we need to clear our temple of those things that, though they may serve a function, are keeping us from becoming the inclusive and justice-seeking community we are called to be. Amen. <laughs>